guest on my show. We've been friends on social media for many, many years. I think about seven years and I've watched her build her platform and build her company up from the ground up and it's been incredible to watch. And to have Shira Strong in here as my guest is truly one of the most exciting things. So I hope that you will sit back, relax, and take a listen to our interview as I interview Sick Chicks boss lady, Shira Strongin. So let's give her a welcome. How are you, my love? What's going on? Tell me everything. I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here and finally be getting to chat and catch up with you because I agree. I think we've been following each other for I don't even know how long, but seven years something sounds about right. <laughs> it's been a long time, and you've got you live in you live West Coast, but you go to school East Coast. So I'm very excited about that that yeah. we're on the That's same the time zone. Cool. And so what are you studying out here in the East Coast? Right. So I am majoring in political communications. Right now I have an intended double minor in public health and then human services and social justice. We'll see. That could change. Those are not official yet, but my major is completely locked in. Official Hong Kong girl. So So what what is your dream career at this point in your life? I mean, I would love to be able to make Sick Chicks my full-time career, be able to do that for the rest of my life and, and really run it the way that I want to. Not that I'm not running it the way that I want to right now, but I don't have the time to give to it because of college mm-hmm. um, that I would in the future. But realistically, I'm not sure how possible that is entirely coming out of college because nonprofit work does not, unfortunately, make a lot of money. So I guess my dream would be to start in government, so start FDA, NIH, start working on the Hill, and then be able to transition full-time into fiction. So, the best segue in the world. Can you talk to us <laughs> about what Sick Chicks is? Absolutely. So, Sick Chicks is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to uniting and empowering women with varying illnesses and disabilities. I put a really big emphasis on that varying because no matter what illness or disability you're experiencing, whether that's a rare disease, a mental illness, a chronic illness, we all as women experience similar themes of sexism throughout, sexism in medicine, sexism in media and management, and the things that we're told to do and the lack of autonomy over our bodies. So I really wanted that to be a focus of this sisterhood. And also, I say this a lot, but it's true that when you get sick, the first thing that you're told is to cope. And coping is wildly important, but there's some level of complacency almost in coping, um, in my opinion, where I think it's like just accept what's happened to you. And it's important to accept it, but it's also important to take that and say, you know what, I can accept it, but I can 
use it to help influence policy that could help me or other people like me. I can use it to educate others. I can use it to turn into an incredible art project or writing project or just doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really wanted that to be a focus of Sick Chicks with that empowerment component. So yeah, that's a little bit of an overview of Sick Chicks. I can also tell you about some of the actual card data things that we've done if you'd like to hear about that. I would love to. Tell us, I want to know everything because I have more questions to come. Amazing. So we last year, last summer, had our very first summit and it was, oh my gosh, it was such a labor of love. It it was incredible. Uh, It was all about sisterhood and sexuality and this is going to be a semi-annual thing. So it will happen every other year, which is really exciting. Um, We had two main panels. One was on reproductive care and the other was something called healthy relationships for unhealthy people because it's such a topic that's not discussed enough in the community. Um, There's just a very big trope of disabled and sick women either being seen as asexual or being hypersexualized, that manic pixie dream girl kind of thing of like needing a man to come in and save us. And it's just so problematic. And so we wanted to talk about that. Um, And it was just, it was such a beautiful panel. We had Kayla Haber, Takayama, Fight to Breathe on Instagram there. We had um, a woman from the Breasties, Nicole Garcia, who's absolutely lovely. Um, This was an incredible opportunity. We also had our Spotlight program where girls can submit stories to become published writers on our website. We've gotten incredible stories, touching stories through that, uh, stories about faith, stories about college accessibility, stories about awareness of feeding tubes, anything and everything. We accept it all, and we're currently working towards and fundraising towards college scholarship funds. I received a $36,000 grant last year, which is going towards that. Um, And we also have our campus crew ambassadors. So we have clubs on college campuses, and we have our local leader ambassadors who all host Sick Chick events locally and run Sick Chick clubs throughout the country. It's incredibly exciting. So essentially, you don't do a lot, really. There's nothing going on in your life. You're sitting at home wishing you had more to do. Whatsoever. (laughs) So... How did this, how did Sick Chicks get started? I know that you, we'll talk about your diagnosis and things like that in a moment, but I want to know how Sick Chicks started. So I've been sick kind of my whole life, but uh, in ways that it wasn't totally apparent, if that makes sense. They were little minor things until I was about 10 or 11 when it switched and I became very, very ill. And I didn't know how to handle it. Um. I had always been in the arts. I've been a competitive dancer. I did musical theater. And I wanted to keep an artistic outlet, but I couldn't physically do those things anymore. And so I turned to writing. And I was so embarrassed and ashamed of my illness, which is heartbreaking now looking back on it. Um, and I wrote under the pen name Sip Chick. And when this started, it was before social media had really taken off. So people went to blogs for all of their information. You know, we didn't really have Instagram and Twitter and, and Facebook in the same way. And when we, we did have Facebook, but it was mostly Facebook groups for parents and not really centered on patients themselves. And the blog blew up and people really liked it because I talked about illness in a way that was so real and authentic and didn't kind of hide the reality of what was going on, which I had the safety of doing because I was anonymous, but I would also talk about it in a very real life way of like, I'm going to winter formal, but I'm going to the hospital tomorrow because that's just how life works and and what happens when you're sick. Um, And I then started getting asked to speak at these national conferences. The blog got picked up by 
it. And I was terrified. I, I knew that speaking at these conferences and coming forward as quote unquote ex chick was going to out me and out my illness. And, and I was terrified of that. And it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me because I met so many young women, so many women with different diagnoses, going through different problems who all related to this basic level who were all feeling the same way that I did, that I was able to verbalize, that none of them had ever heard somebody else saying before. And I realized that there needed to be a space for this. There needed to be an actual sisterhood for this. And so in 2015, the Sick Chick blog became the Sick Chick Sisterhood. And we officially became a 501c3 nonprofit last year and have only been expanding since. So yeah, that's how Sick Chicks got started. Wow. So you... It seems like you worked really hard, especially with this pen name, to be no- not to be known as someone with a chronic illness or rare disease. You really focused hard on making sure that your name was not attached to that. Is that a fair assumption? Absolutely. It was. I was so embarrassed of my illness. I when I was in school, I was bullied, and I didn't expect people to understand, and I. I wanted that safety again. I think I was able to be so honest in the mm-hmm. beginning because of that anonymity. Now, could you... And now, obviously, that's changed a lot. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, could you now tell us what your illness is, what it entails, all that stuff? Absolutely. So, I'm technically considered undiagnosed. I was misdiagnosed for many, many years, Um and recently, over the past, like, four years, it became clear that that was a misdiagnosis, and now I'm in this kind of limbo territory. But basically, I have a neurovascular disease as well as a blood disease. My body, I like to explain it as an oxymoron, emphasis on the moron, because I have a platelet disorder. That means I shouldn't be able to get blood clots, but because of the neurovascular condition, I can't stop getting blood clots and have to be on blood thinners a lot. Um, it kind of wrecks havoc on my life. I'm on a lot of not super pleasant drugs, some chemotherapeutic agents, blood thinners, which always makes life interesting playing the where did that bruise come from game. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of how my condition has impacted me. Uh, I don't tend to talk a ton of specifics on my illness just because I don't really have an answer for it. Yeah. And I don't want to scare anyone by making them think that they could have what I have when I, or, you know, I've had so many people message me over the years of like, have you looked into this diagnosis? And it's like, yes, I of course looked into this diagnosis and things. And so I find it just easier to keep it to the basics, but okay. it does get frustrating undiagnosed, you know? Absolutely. So now if you could go back and tell your younger self, your let's say 13, 14 year old self, something about life now, what would you tell yourself as encouragement? Um, oh, that's such a good question. I think I would tell myself a couple different things. I think I would tell myself to embrace life's experiences a lot more. Um, it was about when I was 15 when it turned less chronic illness into more life-threatening, potentially terminal illness. And when I was 13 and 14, I didn't have the knowledge that that was coming. And I was much more complacent and much more into coping. And I think that switch really made me appreciate life more and take more of this empowerment angle and lens and take more action. But I wish I had done it sooner, if that makes sense. I think that I would have 
been in a lot better of a space. And I also think, though, I would tell my younger self, even I tell myself this now, how important boundaries are with this kind of work. Because when you're in advocacy and when you hear stories of people all the time, it's hard not to take it home and take it with you everywhere mm-hmm. and want to be there for everyone and fix everyone. But the reality is you just can't do that. Um, and I think that the more we discuss that and the more discuss the need for self-care within advocacy, the better that she will get. And so that's definitely something that I would tell my younger self. Oh, that's so good. You are brilliant. I love it. So <laughs> now being an entrepreneur and a businesswoman and a boss lady that you are, um, what are some struggles that you find in the chronic illness community as someone I'm also in that area? And it, one of the hard things that I find is everybody wants your attention or nobody wants your attention or everybody's trying to diagnose you or telling you that what you have is not real or you should do this. What have you, what would you say to those people that continually come at you with information or just come at you in general? I mean, it's this, it's this weird dynamic because we put ourselves out there, you know, um, we open ourselves up to this kind of criticism when we're on social media, when we're public um, and when we put our information out there. So, you, you know, I can't be, angry at people and I know that they have the best of intentions but it's again goes back to that kind of idea of boundaries of knowing you know you don't necessarily know this person in real life you don't know their medical history you only know what they're choosing to put online and so being respectful of that I think is a huge thing that the community definitely needs to work on a little bit Um, and just the aspect of kind of believing everyone there's been a lot of stuff within the chronic illness community about people doubting others and saying that they're faking. And the thing is, at the end of the day, again, we don't know anybody that well necessarily personally, and it's not our job to police that or make somebody feel bad just because we don't understand their illness. Right. So I'm going to ask a question that you can absolutely dead if you want to. Go for it. But I have recently... um, just finished a series on the TV, and I finished a series called The Act with uh, Joey. Mm-hmm. I want to say Joey Lawrence, that's not her name. Joey. Uh, Joey King. Joey who? Joey King, right? Thank you. Joey King and Patricia Arquette. Um, yeah. And after having done some research, I realized that I had met them years ago at a, a national uh, Oli conference here in America. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, we spoke at the same, it was crazy. But anyways, um, I'm curious as to what you think about that whole situation, especially having Hulu really played it out. And now I think she's up for release very soon, Gypsy Rose. So I'm curious about your thoughts, if you had anything to say about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I have not watched the TV show, The Act, so I can't entirely comment on their portrayal of it. I've watched a lot of the documentaries about the case, and it's definitely been one of those things that's been having me by the edge of my seat. I mean, this is a girl who the medical system truly failed her, and the medical system fails a lot of people, but it truly fails her, and it's hard to feel anything but sympathetic for her, even even though she did commit this horrible act of violence. Um, she was put into a situation where, again, the system failed her. Uh, I do think that that's a problem because Munchausen by proxy is extremely, extremely rare. There have been less than, I think, 15 documented cases in history, and the Gypsy Rose Blanchard case is one of those true documented Munchausen by proxy cases. 
But with the amount of media attention that this is getting, it makes it seem like it's such a more common issue than is discussed. And there's already enough of an issue within our own community amongst, you know, people with chronic illnesses and within the medical community of people believing symptoms and diagnoses, especially with young women, that I think it's a little bit problematic to have it glamorized as it is, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Absolutely. And for those, just to be on the factual side of things, because I try to really hard, um, for those of our listeners that don't know, we are talking about um, Gypsy Rose Blanchard, who, with her boyfriend, her then-boyfriend, Nicholas Godajan, murdered her mother, uh, Dee Dee Blanchard, who um, was really, was allegedly, I guess I can say, I feel like Wendy Williams when I say that, but allegedly she <laughs> was going through Munchausen by proxy and really inflicted a lot of heartbreak, hurt, disease, and put a lot of labels on her child that unfortunately were not real when all push came to shove. And so um, with the help of her boyfriend, Nick Godajan, uh Gypsy Rose Blanchard, murdered uh, Dee Dee Blanchard. And what is now is that Nick Godajan is in jail serving a life sentence while Gypsy Rose should be out, I believe, within the next nine months to a year. So just so that everybody knows that uh, fact. It's such an, it's so interesting to talk to you after having really followed your social media and you've said some really amazing points of you really only know what people allow you to know in social media, whether you're sick or not. Um, And I think that's so important. Has there ever been a story that you've heard that someone's brought to you that has just touched you so much and has been, you know, you've made, I think one of the greatest things about Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff is the friends and the community that you make from that. Has there been a few people over, over the course of time and over sick chicks that you've just gravitated to and have become best friends with? Oh, yeah. Some of my best friends are in the Sick Chicks community and are my Sick Chicks sisters, and I don't know what I would do without them. Um, everyone I think in Sick Chicks is, whether they know me personally or not, is what I consider part of my support system, but Sick Chicks has definitely brought me to some of my best, closest friends. Uh, going back to what you were asking about, about like those moments, though, when I, I knew that I was making a difference or, you know, just stories that I would hear from people through social media there was one time I distinctly remember we had just had a Sick Chicks event. I think it was our makeover night. A local salon in California donated complete hair makeovers on talking, cut, collar, dot, everything um, to our Sick Chicks girls. And one of the moms of the girls came back later crying. And with this population, when a mom is crying, my first thought is, oh, no, what happened? Do I have to call 911? Right. Um, and I freak out, you know, understandably. And it turns out she was crying because she hadn't seen her daughter smile, let alone her her laugh, in over a year. And she got to see her daughter smile and laugh at this Sit Chicks event. And that was a moment that I will never forget that has just really touched me where I was like... That's incredible. This support system, this sisterhood is so vital and important and is so needed. And that was just something that I, I will never forget. Wow, that's so incredible. And it's incredible that at, I'm going to not out your age, but before the age of 30, you have managed to create such a stronghold in the community. You've been a source of comfort for a lot of young women and older women out there dealing with uh, diagnosed and undiagnosed diseases and just being a staple where they can come and ask questions about life, about being a teenager, about being a college student, 
sexuality, relationships, all of that stuff. So you should be extremely, extremely yeah. proud of yourself. I hope <laughs> yeah. that you are. I mean, I think that is so important. Like, we don't tend to have these conversations within the chronic illness community. We don't talk about sexuality and relationships, and we don't talk about mental health as much. And I think it's really important mm-hmm. to be able to do that. And so if I can be that resource for people, it's an honor to be able to, and it's such a privilege. Gosh, you're incredible. Now, that's a great segue, because I want to talk about this, too. In the aspect of relationships, without getting too nitty-gritty and in detail, have there is there anything that you would divulge to us about what it's been like to date and to have a relationship and maintain a relationship while being a, quote, sick chick? While being a sick chick? Absolutely. So, dating can always be a little bit complicated. I mean, no matter whether you're sick or not, it's just confusing. <laughs> but I do think that it's, it's a difficult balance when you're getting to know somebody new about how much to tell them about your medical history and mm-hmm. how soon to tell somebody. Um, it's like I never want to overwhelm them, but I also need them to know this information because I need to know if they can handle it. Um, and if they can't handle it, then they need to go because even if that's not any kind of reflection on them, um, it's just my life and the reality of it. And I think... For me, what I've learned is being super honest and upfront from the beginning is just the most helpful mm-hmm. rather than getting too deep in. Because that happened one time. I was hanging out with this guy for a while and I really liked him, but I hadn't really told him about the sick stuff yet. And all of a sudden it came out and he wasn't cool with it. And it was not anything of his own fault that he wasn't cool with it. It was just like he couldn't wrap his head around it and he had so much anxiety around me being sick that it wasn't going to be a successful relationship and I had already gotten a little too invested. I do think though, and that was a while ago, but I do think that having such a like public profile with social media has helped knock that out because the reality is so many people just when they meet you, the first thing they do is like search for your Instagram handle and if you look for my Instagram handle, you see six checks, you see links to blog posts that go into very intimate personal details about my life. Um, and so I think that's kind of knocked that out of the way for me in a sense, which is always, there's like, it's a double-edged sword. It's nice, but then it's also like, I'll walk into a date and the guy will be like, oh, so tell me about your nonprofit. And I'm like, oh, cool, but I don't know anything about you now to ask, and now I'm just going to tell you my entire life story. Right. So, and it's so interesting because you asked, you answered the next question I had was, have you ever had any pushback when you've told someone? Um, Does that make you stronger? Does that take the wind out of your sails? What does that do for you? Honestly, it was hard in the beginning. Um, Early in the dating days, it was difficult. But I think now it's just made me realize it's such an automatic filter and I mean, that's, a, that's not just with dating, that's with people and relationships in general. I mean, if somebody can't handle my health, then they can't really be in my life. And there's nothing wrong with somebody not being able to handle my health. And I think there's this big misnomer that, like, if somebody can't handle your health, very bad person. And that's not the case at all. Um, people can do different things, and some people can tolerate different things that, you know, I might not be able to tolerate, and that's okay. And you know, we just have to figure out people's wishes and desires. I think the hardest part for me isn't necessarily when people can't handle 
the illness is more when they think that there's something to fix with me and turns it into the big savior syndrome complex that I get really angry and hurt about. Uh, I have had many guys try and look at me as this pet project of this, like, idealistic dying girl who's taught them how to live their lives and, like, I'm such a prop for them um, and not actually somebody that they're in a relationship with and that bothers me a lot more than somebody who just up front says that they can't handle the illness, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, if you could give someone relationship advice in terms of going on a date with someone or being intimate and close with someone with a chronic illness, what would you say to them? Open communication is your best friend. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just talk about it. Again, know what you're getting into in the beginning. Have these kinds of conversations early on. Because as terrifying as they are, it's better to get it out of the way than find out something too late when you're already invested. And I mean, as far as intimacy goes from a physical standpoint, that also requires a lot of communication because sexual relationships look very different depending on a person's illness or disability and how they're feeling. But I think it's the same thing in any relationship, you know, whether it's between two disabled people or a disabled person and an able-bodied person or two able-bodied people is just needing to have that kind of open communication no matter what, because we all have stuff going on in our lives, whether it's a chronic illness or a rare disease or having a really rough family life, you know, people have stuff going on that they need to communicate about that impacts relationships. And so I think that's just solid advice for anyone is open communication. Absolutely. So in this journey of life and in this journey of sick chicks and being really a boss, have you, what's the hardest lesson you've had to learn so far? I think the hardest lesson I've had to learn so far is boundaries and that I don't owe anyone anything. Mm. Um, it's the lesson that I am like working really hard on today is because I feel like cause I've put myself out there so much that I often feel like I owe people information okay. um, when they'll ask me, you know, personal details and things like that. And I'm having to realize that I don't owe that to people. Just because I put myself out there, I still get to choose what I share and don't hear. And with boundaries, kind of the same thing of learning, like, you know, if I can't respond to a message right away, that's okay. I need to take care of myself first before I can take care of anyone else. And I think that's, that's been one of the hardest lessons to learn, and it's one I'm still learning because my, like, first inclination is to put everybody else above myself in the sense of, like, I need to take care of them. I, I have this responsibility with sick chicks, and while that's true, I still have a responsibility to myself first. With my personal experience, there's a lot of talk in the community about – sorry, I'm thinking about how to phrase this. I know how I want to say it, but I want to make sure it comes out right. Um. I struggled a lot, and the reason I was anonymous when I wrote Sick Chick was because of the shame and embarrassment I felt around being sick, and a lot of that seeped into relationships, and me feeling that I wasn't worthy of love because of my illness, because there was something inherently wrong with me, and that led me to having a really horrible relationship that really impacted me and still impacts me today, and I don't ever want anyone else in Sick Chick, anyone else in the world to go through that kind of experience, especially because they think that there's something wrong with them mm-hmm. or they think that they're unlovable because of their illness, that they seek out the wrong kinds and the toxic kinds of attention. And I think that's something that we just don't talk about enough. 
within the conversation because we are so focused on, you know, when to disclose an illness, which is really important, but we don't talk about how illness shapes how we view ourselves and further how that shapes how we view relationships and what we deserve. Because even if your body is not functioning the best, you still deserve the best because you are still an amazing, wonderful, beautiful human. God, I need it all on a pillow, on a blanket, on a <laughs> on a loop. I need it all. I love it. Anytime you have my number now, so just call me and just be like, Shira, I need you to give me a pep talk, and I will be there. I love that. I absolutely love that. Thank you. So for our um, for our friends and listeners in high school and in that elementary school phase when we were all going through all these ridiculous changes of life and our bodies and boys and girls and blah, 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 what advice would you give to them? Hmm. First thing first, don't let anybody tell you that you're not beautiful. Whether you're a boy, girl, gender non-conforming, whatever, every single body is beautiful. Whether you're physically healthy or physically disabled, whatever your case is, your body is beautiful. And we don't hear that enough. And that leads to so many problems down the road, especially as our bodies are changing and everything going on in elementary school and middle school. So I think understanding that is a huge thing. And the other thing, and I tell this to my girls all the time as sick chicks who are younger, uh, if a boy is mean to you, that does not mean he likes you. That's the patriarchy getting in your ear. If a boy likes you, he will be nice to you. And that was the same thing for boys who are interested in boys, girls who are interested in girls, whatever it is, girls who are interested in boys, you have to be nice to them too. If somebody likes you and cares about you, they will treat you well. And we have to stop that narrative of the, like, oh, he likes you. That's why he's, like, being mean to you and pulling on your pigtails. No, no, no. That is lesson number one. So, yeah, make sure that everybody knows they're beautiful and make sure everybody knows that if people like you, they will treat you well. Okay. All right. <laughs> I love, oh, gosh, you're, I like you. You need to be rich and like famous in a big house. I love it. Thank you. Um. You, I had a great question, and you said something that was so profound, and then I got so wrapped up in the profoundness of it that I don't remember what I was going to say to you. So there's that. Um, if it comes back later. I don't remember what it was. Well, it was great, too, but oh well. That's, I guess, not happening. Um, <laughs> the joys of having my own show and doing whatever I want to. Um, gosh. What would you say to grown-ups that have... So we're in this time in life and in politics where everybody has an opinion and that will never go away. But we also have multi-generations that are commenting on how, let's say, us young folks are running the world or what we're expected to do or what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Um, and I've also... Oh, I know what it was. Scratch that whole introduction. I'm going to cut it out and edit. So okay. It's going to be great. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say a word to you and I want to know what you think about it at first thought. Okay. I want to know what you think about the word disabled. So I have lots of thoughts on the word disabled. I personally used to believe that it was the biggest insult. I hated when people called me disabled. I felt so uncomfortable. I was seen differently abled. And then my whole view shifted. Because I realized that I was thinking that way because we were trying to say that there's something inherently wrong with being disabled. And there's not anything inherently wrong with being disabled. Not 
saying that it's like this amazing thing that I'm disabled and that I didn't wish that I had a fully functioning, physically healthy, capable body. However, it's society that has taught me that it's a bad thing and it's not actually a bad thing, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Absolutely. And so I really learned to just embrace that word now because it is who I am. I am sick. I am disabled and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And the more that I try to shame that and change that into the like differently abled thing, the more I'm putting myself down and the more internalized ableism I have. And that's why I love you so much. There we are. Um, I had another question for you. What are three things that are on your bucket list? Okay. I got to think about this. I want to go to Amsterdam so badly. I have been saying that for I don't even know how long. Actually, no, I do know how long. It was since the Gregory Allen Isakoff song, Amsterdam, came out, and I listened to it for the first time, and I fell in love with it. So I want to do that. Um... I really want to go, honestly, most of my have to do is traveling. Like, I really want to go travel Thailand, um, Vietnam, Asia. My mom traveled around the world when she was younger um, because of her job. And so her stories have always made me really, really want to go. I also would love to go to Woodstock. Mm. I think that would be so cool. Um, hmm, who else? I'm trying to think of other things. I really want to, at some point in my life, get to see policy through from the get-go to it be enacted. Because I've seen things through after they've been written, and I've helped them, like, get signed into law if they still haven't been actually enacted because of budgeting and funding and things like that. And so I would really like to get to work on a piece of legislation from ground zero getting it completely through and getting it not just signed in but enacted into law I think that would be really cool okay who's your celebrity crush right now Chris Hemsworth is killing it he has the accent his Instagram is full of videos with him and his kids and his dog where he's just so wholesome and actually seems attainable even though in all of the Avengers movies he does not seem attainable my other big celebrity crush Vance Joy. I am in love with Vance Joy. Okay. What about your go-to musical genre? I have very weird taste in music. I listen to primarily like indie, indie folk music or I listen to angry girl music. There's kind of no in between. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So now what I would like to do is I would like to... Um, ask some rapid-fire questions to have our listeners get to know you as a person. What's your favorite color? Red. Favorite candy? Keith Bart or Sour Patch Kids. Mm, Favorite TV show? Me. You had talked about doing musical theater, so I'm going to ask you a two-part question. What was your favorite, or what is your favorite pre-show meal? Pre-show meal? Gosh. I haven't done musical theater in forever, so I don't actually remember my pre-show meal, which is really sad. But I do, if I remember correctly, it was French fries from Chick-fil-A. And how about your post-show meal? It was also French fries from Chick-fil-A. I do remember that very distinctly, because I remember being in costume one time and getting yelled at by the director for eating Chick-fil-A fries. In In costume, costume. yeah. It happens. (laughs) How about your favorite show currently on Broadway? Uh, oh, that's so difficult. That is so difficult. 
What are your top three? Cheers to the Girls, because that's still on Broadway, right? Yes, I think so. Yes. Love that one. Um, Waitress, I don't think that's on Broadway anymore, but I really, really like that one I saw it. And, let's see. I need a third. Um, okay, wait, can I do Broadway of all time or not just, or does it have to be current? Sure, you can do Broadway of all time. Okay, Broadway of all time, number one is Wicked. I was lucky enough to see it with the original cast around the same age if we both saw the original cast of Wicked. Mm-hmm. That, I'm, I'm 20. I don't know. Is that oh, no. We are not. But you were very young when you saw the original cast, so that's fantastic. I was a baby. I am a fossil, so there's that. Um, what <laughs> is... Let's see. What's your favorite movie? Okay. So, 10 Things I Hate About You and Dirty Dancing are, like, my two all-time favorites. You can't compare them. With anything else, but also stuck in love. Okay. Like, they're just all very different vibes, but those three. Now, you're on your way to an incredible occupation and an incredible career, which you already started and have done incredible things with before the age of 20. If you could do something else other than that, what would it be? I, this is going to sound terrible, um... I would want to travel the world being a merch girl with different bands because then I would always get to go to free shows. I really love music and how. And I would get to see the world and I'd get to meet such cool, interesting people. That's so true. What is your guilty pleasure snack? Salt and vinegar chips. What's your guilty pleasure TV show? Are you ready for, I think it's Hannah B. that's coming up in May? I'm I'm intrigued. I'm a little nervous. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, fair, fair. I just think it's going to end up being a little bit of a train wreck. Oh, yes. But that's what I want. You're not wrong. But who would watch if it wasn't? Exactly. (laughs) What's your favorite holiday? Favorite season, summer, spring, winter, or fall? Fall. East Coast or West Coast? Oh, don't make me choose between my two favorites. (laughs) Um, Different things. The thing is, the West Coast will always have my heart. I am a California girl. You can't take that out of me. But I do have such a special place for the East Coast. It's where I'm currently based out of, and I love being in the city. They're just so different, but... Okay, that's fair. And then last question, what is your favorite vacation spot? Mm, vacation spot. Okay, so I have two. I really, 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 really love Charlottesville, Virginia, which sounds very random, but I was there for a very long time. It's beautiful. I just fell in love with the town, and there's so much to do there. 
there's a cute little strip, there's like good hiking and camping, there's just so much and it's adorable and I've been to so many good concerts there. I'm just a very big fan of Charlotte though. And then I love Marin County out in California. Okay. Um, so Northern California is beautiful and I recommend everybody go there. I love that you say Charlottesville, Virginia, because I actually have spent many a day after Thanksgiving slash Black Friday slash hanging out with family there, and it is so gorgeous. I was actually there um, the Thanksgiving after that big um, situation happened at UVA that unfortunately took the life of Heather Heyer, and um, it was just so interesting to see the the, um, community come together and the people who I was hanging out with their living room window was open because it's Virginia and why not? Um, and they heard everything happen. So it's, it's just so interesting to hear everybody's stories and everybody's interpretations of what happened that day. Um, I mean, I remember watching everything happen on the news and just being like, I've been there. I know exactly. I, it was, it hit so close to home, especially being Jewish. And I can't even imagine having, the window open and actually having heard it. Oh, wow. It was crazy. I mean, I they had said they didn't really get what it was until tire screeches happened, and then it was just massive screaming, which obviously I get why, but... Um, Clearly. It's just such a, you know, where we are in this world is um, so crazy. And the last, last, last question that I have for you is, what okay. would you like your legacy to be? I want Sick Tips to be my legacy, and that sounds super broad, but it's broad for a reason, because I think that we're finally in a place where we're starting to talk about women's issues specifically in healthcare, and that's great and important, but we also have to talk about quality of life and what that looks like for women, especially from, like, the dating and sexuality and all of those kinds of sides of things, and I want to be able to say that I was the person that helped shift that conversation and bring that about and also I want to be able to say that I was a person that if I'm being remembered I want people to remember me as somebody who really made a difference and who really gave it her all in making this like lasting positive impact and helped a lot of women and people in general but I I gotta stick with my six six sisters here that's amazing now for our listeners that are not familiar with six chicks what would you like them to take away from this podcast so even though Sick Chicks is Sick Chicks and we're all about girl power and sisterhood, we're for anybody who identifies as a Sick Chick sister. You do not have to be a cis white woman to be a Sick Chick sister. If you identify as a Sick Chick sister, you're one of us. Um, especially, I mean that also within illness, because a lot of people will be like, oh, well, I'm not a Sick Chick because I have a mental illness, not a physical illness. You're still a Sick Chick sister if you identify as a Sick Chick sister. Um, I also would hope that people would Come visit our website, come get involved, apply to be a local leader, bring Six Chicks College Campus Club to your school. Um, our girls are doing amazing things at the campus level. We just had a girl bring in a doctor specifically for sex ed to talk about what that looks like for Six Chicks, more so than like a, a normal quote-unquote sex ed class. So seriously, they're doing amazing things, and we'd love to have you all do That's some incredible. of those amazing things, too. Which leads me to an amazing segue. You're very good at this. Um, I want to know where our listeners can find you and where we can support Sick Chicks and where we can support you as a person. Yes. Okay. So, Sick Chicks, www.thesickchicks.com. Check it out. You can check our Instagram out. is at Sick Chicks Sisters on Instagram. Our Twitter 
give me a follow for sure. Um, and my website, which should be live very shortly, is sheerstrongin.com. Uh, and you can also, if you're interested in having me speak somewhere or do anything like that, you can inquire about that through the website. I do a lot of talks on engaging young adults in policy, so specifically legislative advocacy, women's issues, um, empowerment, young adult advocacy in general. So, yeah, I am looking forward to meeting so many new amazing friends in the community through your viewers. That is so incredible. Again. So incredible. I am so thrilled to have the opportunity to talk to you. I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. I'm excited that our paths have finally crossed in a very inauspicious way to make this work. Um, And next year, when I'm back, because I am going back to California for the summer, but next year we'll have to do something in person. We will. We'll do a Facebook Live or something. It'll be so fun. I can't wait. I'm very excited. I am very proud of you, and I'm so thankful to have watched you build what Sick Chicks is today from the ground up, from all the way across the world, or across the country. Not the world. I don't live on the other side of the world. I live on the other side of the country. One day I'm going to get my life together. Today is not that day. Um, you know, as I said, I'm in final frame. I don't know if what I've been saying is English or makes sense, but we're rolling with it. It is all perfect. I promise that much. Um Strongin, 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 strongin. Why do I always want to say something different? Shira Strongin, why do I do that? I literally have made your name 35 different things in the past 10 minutes. It's really funny. Um, one time I was giving this like keynote speech at a conference, and they had my name tagged as Shira, S-H-E-R-A, and then my last name is Strongin. Oh. So, you know? Well, there's we, that. We improvise, we adapt, we overcome I was like, hey, if you don't like my speech, look for Shira Strongin. And if you like it, come find me at Shira Strongin. That's hilarious. Shira, I am so thankful for you. I'm thankful for all that you do for this industry and for this um, community, from sick chicks to Spoonie family to chronic illness to rare disease to undiagnosed diseases. You have managed to cover a wide variety of people and individuals and human beings and you've been able to speak all over the country and shed your light and shed light on um you know things that people don't really want to talk about and I think that that's really really important and I'm so grateful that you sat down in finals week to talk to me about your life and your organization Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm so glad we finally got to connect after all of these years. You have been amazing. This was so much fun. I especially love the rapid fire question round. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. If there's ever something coming up that you're like, oh my gosh, I want to be able to put this out on more platforms, please call me, text me, and be like, hey, can we do an episode? I'm happy to do it. Anything that you need, I'm here to help. I love that. Also, vice versa, if you ever need anything from the Psychic Resources or your I have at least five people that I need to confer information with and they will be sent your way very soon. I promise that much. Beautiful. I love your face. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of all that you do. Thank you. And I can't Thank wait you. to talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thanks, have sweetie. A have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. Because I knew